And hello, movie lovers, and welcome to the show. With me, I have Charlie with me. Say hello to everybody, Charlie. Hello. And tonight, we are actually doing our best movie ending. So, warning, spoiler alert, we're going to be talking about movies that we liked in the past. We're not doing newer films or anything like that, because then we're not douchebags. We're not going to be ball bags to ruin a movie or whatever, unless it's Space Jam 2. But, yeah. but you know, we're here to have a good time. If you want to go ahead, be a ball bag, be a ball bag on somebody else's channel. But this is not going to happen here. But yeah. with further ado, let's go on ahead and do this. Uh, so when you look at best endings, I always look for best cinematic experiences coming out of the theater, feeling like you had a good time watching it, how it tops everything. That's pretty much what I look for when I look for a good movie ending and how it wraps up, how everything ends with a conclusion to a story. So I'm going to let you go first and then I'll go second. Okay. And this is not, by the way, guys, this is not going to be a top 10 or top five list or anything like that. This is just us talking about our list, talking and seeing how everything goes. So let's do it. Yeah. yeah to go what John said, I'm not, and if you're worried about anything in 2021, don't worry. That one's off limits. Every other year for me is not off limits. So, um, I think one of my favorite endings, like I, I'm one of them is uh, sort of the uh, Christopher Nolan's 2010 Inception. Um, that I, I typically don't like those ambiguous types of endings unless you do it well. And what Christopher Nolan, he did it well. I mean, Inception, if you haven't seen Inception, I mean, it's been a, a, over 11 years, and I think you should if you're into that stuff. If you like Christopher Nolan and the, that Inception, if in uh, this case, anybody stars a huge cast from Leonardo DiCaprio to Tom Hardy to Joseph Gordon Lovett to Ken Wannabe, Ellen Page is in this. Um, at the time, she was Ellen Page until she t- t- she changed to Elliot Page. Um, uh, uh, Marion Cantold was in it. I sorry if I butchered your name. Um, and then uh, some other people in uh, Michael Caine, of course. But essentially, it's uh, Cobb, like, like uh, of course, Dom. So uh, Leo, Leo plays Dom. So he's trying to get back to his family because um, fitting. Um, so essentially, it's. I don't really want to describe it because I don't really want to spoil it. So essentially, they they work for a company where they go into your mind. So it's all about dreams, like so in that. But so anyway, Dom's like trying to do this like this theme called Inception. So they got to go multiple layers to plant this idea. So in a sense, it's a sci-fi, but it's got a lot of fantastic action sequences and visually, this movie's stunning. Um, Chris, this was uh, Christopher Nolan right after his mega hit, The Dark Knight. Came, this came out in 2010, where the year of all the ensemble action movies. So we're from The Losers, The 18. I like that movie. Screw you if you hated it. It's fine. Whatever. Um, I enjoyed it for what it is. Inception came out in July, and then the big juggernaut ensemble action movie was The Expendables. So anyway, the Inception had this ambiguous ending because it's the whole idea is like everybody's got this little totem. So this totem represents like if it spins, if it topples, means it you're in it's it's reality. If it keeps spinning, you're in a dream. So again, spoiler alert, the end of it, um, it looked like Dom had to go like uh, one of the members of the team was shot and he was pretty much dying. And he's in this place called Limbo. Um, I'm not gonna describe it because it's too com- too complex and creepy and cool. Um, I'm not going to describe it. He's got to watch it. So anyway, Dom has to go back, 
has to like has to stay and find him in this area and and then all of a sudden like, it's like you see a scene that him the two of them are talking is um and then dom suddenly wakes up in the airplane because they're on this very long trip i think it's um forgot the details i think it was sydney to um i think it was like london to sydney let me look that up it was a very long flight because they because each level of the dream represents how much time you've been under so like so one level was like hours minutes years days whatever so dom's got to go back and see save the guy so dom saves the guy like supposedly and he wakes up on the plane and everybody's like that because in order for dom to get back he has to do this job because something happens and whatever so anyway dom wakes back is back he goes for the airport the only people that's looking at him is teen and he sees his kids and the whole time of the movie you don't see his kid's face and and then when dom enters the house he uh he takes his totem he sp- it's spinning and he sees his kids and he goes and celebrates it so he's hanging with the kids and they're like the kids are happy then the camera zooms in on the top on the uh the totem it keeps spinning it keeps spinning it keeps spinning it's starting to topple screen goes black um so talk about so that 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 leads to discussion is he is he is it reality or is it a dream for me that that this movie just really hits like the ending just really hit for me because I just start. That was my second summer at the theater I worked at, and um, and it was an employee sneak I got to see for Inception. So it was my dad, myself, um, my uh, our uh, our colleague Sean, who's uh, who's he's, uh, Sean Knowles. You've seen him on the show a couple few times. Um, he it was him, his brother, and his girlfriend at the time, who's now his wife. It was just the four or five of us in the theater, um, and then it was just us in the whole uh, in the thing for the employee sneak. And immediately afterwards, the movie was like, like we we loved it so much. We start like we talked about the ending. We asked, "Is it a dream? Is it reality?" That for me, that was like the how they nailed it. Um, and then there's so much theories going on about it, whether it's a dream. And I've done so many. Pa- I did a paper on it in college. I've done presentations on it. I think for me, this ending is just is so noteworthy and yet to talk about because it's just, and then it's the way Christopher Nolan does it. And that's, that's the, that's the thing. If it, you have a really good director and you have a really ambiguous ending, at least it's really discussion. It's, a, it's, it's, it's reality. Like, um, another thing to keep in mind is Dom, the totem Dom uses is not his, it was his wife's. His totem is his wedding ring. And so that's, that's something I mean, if you haven't, like, if you need to check it out, Watch it again and check the, the check the wedding ring because that that's his totem. So if he has it on, if not, that, that that's how you can tell if it's a reality or it's a dream. But I think for me, it's just it's, it's uh, Inception's my one of my favorite endings. It's because it's talked about like, it, it, and there's so much discussion on it. Is it a dream? And that and that's just the way no one rolls with how he makes this movie. It's all about time. Um, but for the visually though, I mean, the, that movie was like for 2010, that was like, that, that almost changed the game for visual effects. Like it's just how they built the world, the visuals, how everything's bending and now, and then that's why it's getting made fun of like all the time because it's so noteworthy. But I think it's, it's got, one of them is definitely an inception because it's the, what's the ending that's talked about, but yeah, it's meaningful conversations of why you think that and not people back. No, 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 no. Like there's like that. It, 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 this one sparks really good conversations, but it's just, just the way they ended and the way Nolan did it was like, it's definitely a, one of my favorite endings. Um, but anytime, let me go look up where that, how, what that flight was. But 
I do have to admit, the reason why it's so well-respected and everything is because of that ending where it's open to interpretation, but not only is it open to interpretation, but because it's open to interpretation and allows you to use your imagination, people can respect each other because of the fact that they don't know what the actual ending is, and therefore they can say, you know what, that actually makes sense. Maybe maybe he might be alive. Maybe he might be dead. Maybe there might some be some events that happen within in there, maybe might think of something different. So that's one thing that I liked about Inception was how creative it was. And also, too, if you look watch Doctor Strange, there's definitely elements of Inception in the Doctor Strange movie that they use. So for me, I have to say that Inception is a great film, uh, which, you know, that Christopher Nolan did. So, you know, if you haven't che- seen it, go on ahead and check it out. But I'm going to go on ahead and talk about my film. That right. I-, um, I found out the flight real quick. Sorry. It was uh, a 10 hour flight from Sydney to Los Angeles. Um, so that's how long, like when I said the flight about how long, yeah, that was, it's a 10 hour flight that I forgot the locations was Sydney and Los Angeles. So yeah, definitely needed that. That's the way that that movie felt like is like, Oh my God, are they, is this like, this one takes forever, but they need it to, because they're so they're down they're under, uh, under the, uh, like under, um, the, whatever they, the device they use. It's been a while for, since I've seen it, but makes sense. But yeah, I don't want to be on a 10 hour flight. No way. <laughs> <laughs> no, definitely not. Not in that kind of capacity anyways. Um, but you know, for me, whenever I look at film, I like classic films as well. I'm not the type of person that just looks at, you know, modern day films or anything like that either. For example, I ended up reviewing, um, an old black and white film with Tamika on the channel that I really liked. And, you know, and I wound up loving that film. So if you haven't seen that, go in and check that out. But the movie for me is Shane. It's an old country Western movie. And this movie came out in 1953. And the plot of Shane is pretty much this. And a minute, um, enigmatic gunslinger Shane, Alan uh, Ladd rides into a small Wyoming town and hopes uh, quietly settling down as a form hand, hand taking a job on a homestead. John Joe Status Van Han's farm. Shane is drawn into a battle between the townsfolk and rootless cattle baron Rufus Riker. Emily Mayer, Shane's growing attraction to Sheriff's wife, uh, Mayor, uh, Mayor Jane Arthur, well, Marion, uh, in his uh, fondness of their son, Joey, who idolizes Shane, for, forces Shane to realize that he must th- uh, throw over Riker's plan. Now, this is why I like this film. And it's such an iconic uh, thing when you look at it. Because, okay, picture this. As Shane has been beaten, the, has beaten the bad guy and brought, into just, and brought to justice into the West... But as he gets on his horse, young Joey, Brandon D. Wilde, sees blood dripping from Shane's uh, arm and limps as he rides off. What follows is one of the most quoted closings in movie history is Joey shouting, Shane, come back, Shane, come back. So I like this film because of the fact that you have the chemistry with the young actor. You also have chemistry in the film itself. I liked the old country classic Western movies and stuff like that. I remember my mom introduced me to this film at a young age and Shane was just one of those movies that I fell in love with because of the fact, like I mentioned before, 
we have Riker who has that conflict where Shane is trying to settle down and everything else. And then Riker comes in and basically winds up being a douchebag to Shane. And then Shane has to go in and pretty much uh, turn him in for the things that he's done. And by doing that, also, he's also getting into a gunfight and stuff like that. Typical uh, Western type of vibe and stuff like that. But Shane is definitely one of my favorite Westerns, aside from Quick of the Dead with Sharon Stone, Leonardo DiCaprio, and Gene Hackman. I think that The Quick and the Dead is also a good film, but uh, I don't have that on my list. There's just other films that, to me, in the ending, in the top tier, uh, that one just didn't make it. So with that being said, I'm going to give it back over to Charlie. Um, another ending I had, I like, um, I loved. Um, I'm not going to do my favorite ending yet. Um, um, this one is, again, it was a recent, came out two years ago. Um, I, again, if I, everybody's seen the show, I'm a huge Quentin Tarantino fanatic fan. Um, for me, one of my favorite endings, because I, I was not expecting this, is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Um, so again, I feel like you were going to put that on there, to be honest. I have to. Like, if, I again, knew you were going to do it. <laughs> if you have not seen Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, spoiler alert, spoiler alert, spoiler alert. All right. Um, in case anybody's not known, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is based, it's uh, set in the 1960s. It was during, um, so if anybody's familiar with Sharon Tate, it's that period. So, um, again, the movie's set, and it's around, like, it's all about, like, Hollywood in the 1960s. Um, also, there's the book that came out, too, um, which is, like, supposed to have more history in it. Anyway, and it start and then, so, it starts, uh, big cast, but the two main guys, Leonardo DiCaprio and Brad Pitt, um, Leo plays Rick Dalton. He was, like, a TV actor star on Bounty Law. And his buddy Cliff Booth, played by Brad Pitt, is a stunt devil. If you're wondering, oh, I knew those time periods. I never heard of Rick Dalton or Cliff Booth. Because you haven't. Those guys are the only fictional characters that Tarantino created for this universe in this movie. So and so Rick Dalton lives next door to Sharon Tate. And, um, and, uh, and the other guy, um, Roman Polanski. So if you're wondering if this is Sharon Tate... Is this involved Manson's? Yes. So essentially, it's, it's Brad Pitt and that Leo that's trying to find their way into Hollywood, like make their way that Dalton's like a, like Rick Dalton's like a down on his luck trying to get these roles and all that, whatever. So anyway, the reason this is my favorite ending, because I was worried it does cover the Manson family. And boy, does he cast that family well. Like, this the cast that played the people, the girls in it creepy like and then and then this and then is this again brad pitt is this fantastic in this movie and that's why he's well deserving of the oscar so okay going to the ending at some point in the movie you hear kurt russell kurt russell's the narrator you hear him going into exact details of where cliff and rick dawn are going okay they're in this location they're having dinner at this sharon tate as well as her friends and that are going to dinner there. She is pregnant. Yes, they're covering this portion. So anyway, then they go back to the house and at one point, and then so, and then Cliff is hanging out with, um, I'm not going to go super into the, like the, how we lean up to the ending, but you, when you watch it, it's great. Anyway, Cliff is, I mean, Cliff's got, um, Cliff Booth's got a dog and Cliff's going to take in the dog for a walk. And he sees this, like this uh, cigarette laced with some acid. Cliff, like, Cliff smokes it, and he goes, what the hell? 
Um, so he takes the dog for a walk, and Leo's ch- making margarita mix as Rick Dawn's. And um, again, witnessing this for like, I mean, Tarantino knows to do some tension, but he sure as hell knows to make some funniness, uh, like hilarious moments. So at some point, um, like Cliff goes, the uh, and then Rick's making some margarita mix, and all of a sudden you see the hippies show up. Manson's family. You got Rhett, You got a. Uh, I think you got Tex. Um, let me look up the names of the people that, um, it's been a while again. So it's been, I, I saw this movie last year, like on Blu-ray on 4k. So I, I, I want to get the names right before anybody starts going at me. Um, but yeah, once upon a time in Hollywood, I have to say the soundtrack was really good. For oh yeah. That film. I love that soundtrack. The soundtrack Tarantino always does a good job when it comes down to picking out songs for soundtracks and things like that. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood was definitely a lot of fun to watch if you're looking for like an Elseworld kind of story about the Manson family and this fictional world that he created on a what-if kind of scenario, Tarantino-style what-if scenario. Okay, (laughs) so family members Tex, Sadie, Katie, and Flower Child, they arrive outside in participation and preparation to kill the Sharon Tates. Um, this is where it gets kind of funny. It's like they, they, they're, their crowd's going really wild. They're about to go to the house next door. Rick Dawn comes out in his robe. He's like, Hey, you damn hippies or whatever. He's just going off on a tangent, like on the, scaring the crap out of the, uh, the Manson family. He's chugging margarita mix in a robe. Seeing this again, this is really, really funny. And then, and then like Tex is really freaking out. And he's like, all right, I like, get the get out of here, you Dean hippies. Now I'm gonna call the cops or beat you up myself. So seeing it, seeing seeing Leo and Leo chug margarita mix in front of the hippies, like the Manson family kind of is attention later. The, the the Manson families they back off and they go, Do you know who that was? That was that was J.K. Hill. That was from Bounty Laws. Like, what the guy that just yelled at me in the margarita mix that was J.K. Hill? Yeah, so because the Mansons are planning to kill Sharon Tate and the brutal event, which is the part I did not want to have happen. So they decide, let's kill Jade Cahill himself. And, and like, cause all that, it's just the treatment for the, all that violence and all that good stuff or whatever. And then, so the, uh, the Manson, the Manson girls, um, besides flower child, cause flower child says, Oh, I left something in the car. She drives away, which is really what happened. One of them actually ditched them. So, um, so um, the rest of them is Tex, Sadie, and Katie. I, I, or yeah, I think so. It's been a while. Again, it's been a while since I've seen it. So anyway, they go and attack the house, and um, Cliff Brink comes back with his dog Brandy. He's making the uh, that, and, he, and he's like, "Whoa!" Like he's seriously high on acid. They bust down like well, then, then all of a sudden you hear the dog moaning, and then and he's like, "Come on, man!" Like. I don't have any money for you. I thought I would get you some better food. And then all of a sudden he hears people go through the door and he goes, Oh, hello. It's like, he's like just freaking out. And like, so they said, go. And then, so Tex is like instructing them. All right, go get the woman in the, in the back, which is, uh, the, like the, um, the Rick Dalton's, um, uh, wife. And Rick, if you're wondering where Rick Dalton is, he's in his pool of the, uh, drinking margarita mix. Uh, he's in the pool in the chair so anyway, they um Texas like saying a spiel and you get and then Don's like and like Cliff's like, Whoa, I recognize you guys. Spawn Ranch. And all of them are freaking out, like, wait, he recognizes us. And he goes, Um, I remember your face. I remember your hair. 
Yeah, and you had a funny you were you were on a horse seat. And he goes, What was your name? Um, I don't know. And he goes, uh, like get him, like get him, like he goes, Rex. No, I get, and he goes, and he goes, um, he's like, um, he's like, Rex, no, there's a lot. And he goes, I'm the devil, I'm here to do the devil's work. And he goes, No, it's a lot dumber than that. And then all of a sudden, when the girl says Rex, Tex, he instructs the dog. And what if you're expecting violence? Here you go. Cliff Booth and the dog kill the Manson fan, like the Manson girls in very brutal ways, but yet very satisfying. Like this violence is, it was like for me, like, I mean, violence is supposed to be funny, but if it's Tarantino, like you're expecting it. Like, did I see this happening? Cause Tarantino is known to do revisionist history, hence and glorious bastards. No Cliff, takes out every single one of the members, like by bashing a girl's face in on the telebooth. Um, at some point, Cliff gets stabbed. And then the one girl that he absolutely beats to death, she crashes through the, uh, the windshield or, or the sliding screen door and scares the crap out of Rick. And then, and then the girl's face is all messed up. She's shooting in the air. And then all of a sudden, like if like, like when you watch the movie, you'll be picking this up. But again, hopefully you're not watching this. All of a sudden, you see Rick Dahl come out with a flamethrower. He comes out with a freaking flamethrower and lights her up. Like, she, like, completely lights her up. I mean, for me, this, that ending was, like, so unexpected. And it made me appreciate the movie more. Because they did not go the while they did. And if you're wondering, and then at one point, Cliff is okay. He's just going to the hospital. And all of a sudden, the next-door neighbors answer. Or I think the next-door neighbors like, what happened? Oh, yeah, a bunch of hippies just try to kill me and my friend. Well, um, everybody's okay except for the hippies. They're just dead. And Rick and Rick Dalton meets Sharon Tate, and that's why I'm like, make a sequel. I want to see what happens. I see this that, but again, Tarantino revisionist history. But for the way whatever happens, this that sequence, it's very tense. But once you see Cliff Booth being the stunt man that he is, beats the crap and kills almost all these hit uh, all the Manson family. I was like. Made, made it a fantastic ending in the movie. I definitely thought the flamethrower scene was definitely funny. I thought it was something that was unexpected and wasn't... I'm going to be honest with you. I like that whole entire twist, especially how Brad Pitt's character throws... A, what? He throws a tennis ball or something like that? Or what does he throw? I know that he throws something. I'm not mistaken. I don't think he threw anything. I think he just did the... Like kind of the click, yeah. the, the click noise to get the like uh, get Brandy to bite Texas, uh, right? Bite Texas nuts off. Yeah, uh, but it was definitely an insane scene, though. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, it's total Caratino balls to the wall. Yeah, <laughs> literally balls to the wall kind of thing. And I definitely like it. I definitely like the slow burn of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and you're not sure how the story connects either. So you're wondering, okay, what is all these characters? have to do with each other and then even though cliff winds up running into them before uh, in the past life and then they wind up coming into the present day and everything you're still wondering where is the connection with the manson family how is this getting any, any more connection is there going to be more to this or is this uh cliff just basically running around in leo's car and things like that so you're wondering where this plot is going to go and once it goes to where it needs to go it doesn't slow down. That tension is let go and it's released. And 
it's released for a reason. I I like it. I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm one of those people that like this film. I do have another Tarantino film on my list and everything, too. So stay tuned for that one. But with yeah. this one, the soundtrack is fantastic. I, as a matter of fact, I actually bought the soundtrack because of the fact I like uh, some of the songs that were on it. So it's always good mm-hmm. to go get yourself a soundtrack that Tarantino yeah. uh, puts together. Um, it was because of what I told my brother, part of the what happens in the ending. He's like, all right, I want to see this movie now. It's because this is one of the, one of the very rare ones where if you tell somebody how this one ends, they change their mind. They want to watch it. And that's what I re- – because I think everybody had the apprehension of like, I do not want to see what really happened in real life. I knew what happened in real life. I did not want to see that. And I was hoping to hear because that because it's like, I mean, all the reviews for it, like, great. I mean, this is the one movie my dad's like, let's go see this again. And and that's what we did. We want to see this movie again. And we did. It was it was awesome. Um, but yeah, and then that, that that's why. Um, and we did. And I, but when I told my brother what happens in the end, he was interested in it. I'll be honest with you. I was one of those people whenever I did the news report on it and stuff like that, whenever it was first coming out, I was thinking to myself, I do not want to see this movie coming out on the same day because at that time they were going to release it on the anniversary of Sharon Tate's death. And I didn't want it to be where it celebrated her death or anything like that in a negative way. And then once I heard rumblings of the ending. That's what made me want to check it out. But there's some other stuff that I winded up seeing and I caught it on Redbox instead, but I still loved it for what it is. It's definitely a great film. Yeah. I mean, I had to see this in theaters. Like my, like, like my dad and I were big fans. Like he was, I was intrigued on it from the get go. My dad was like, okay. And then, then you start seeing trailers, but it's just, if there, if Brad Pitt and Leah were not in this movie, it was not going to be good. Like those two had instant chemistry. Like the two of them, like just flowed off each other perfectly. Like you just know, like you're Rick fucking doll, and like that that those types of lines. Like I mean, of course there's controversy because um, Sharon, um, like Sharon Lee is complaining about the Bruce Lee sequence. It's like, come on, it's part of the movie. It's like it, it, that. It's a fake, a fictional character having a fight with Bruce Lee. It made the sequence funny. We're not laughing at Bruce Lee. We're laughing at the sequence because it's it was pretty funny and like and there's a lot of controversy and I'm like I'm glad Tarantino didn't cut that part out because it's just like it's not gonna appease everybody like you had the one guy complain about uh, I think Spike Lee complained about Tarantino using the N word in uh, Django and Chain which was what was popular in that time period it's like it's just a movie it's not like something you need to get like all apprehension against but. Like, I mean, if like I said, if Brad Pitt and Leo were not in this movie, this movie was going to suck easily. Because if you don't get two guys that don't have good chemistry, they do. And Brad Pitt had that chemistry and he, even during when he was giving his, winning the awards for this movie. He was, like, taking shots at Leo. It was like, I would have left room on the raft for you. Uh, my partner in crime, um, LDC. I would have let uh, Leonardo DiCaprio. I would have left room on the raft where you taking a shot at uh, Kate Winslet for not le- giving uh, Leo enough space in Titanic. I mean, come on! If I spoil that movie for you, that's been out since the '90s. It's it's, and and it's it's, it's to the point like James Cameron was pissed that the MythBusters proved them wrong. Leo could have survived that movie. She just needs to move over. Would have survived. Simple solution. But I digress. But yeah, if you get it, that, that's what that's why chemistry and casting is perfect. Like is pivotal in your movies. But Let's I digress. See here. 
Let's see. Uh, the one that I have next is Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark. And I just love this ending of the scene and everything. And I like history. I love history. It's one of my favorite things to talk about and stuff like that. And then Harrison Ford playing Indiana Jones again. And the Raiders of the Lost Ark is basically if something if someone winds up touching the Ark, they wind up uh, dying. And these Nazis wind up touching this Ark. They're melting down to basically nothing. It's really graphic. It's very gory. Also, too, the very end of it is the best climax of it of it all. After all that stuff happens with the Nazis, then you have this other scene. Basically, Indiana, Indiana wants to go ahead and put this in a museum. And that's supposedly what he was going to do because what they wind up doing is they wind up taking the Ark apart, putting in this box, this cargo crate. And what they do is they wind up taking the forklift and bringing it into the warehouse. And then they put the Ark somewhere else along with all these other artifacts that Indiana has actually found. I like this movie. I love this movie. The chemistry is really good. The acting is good in it. It has some comical elements into it as well, mixed in with some action, some good whip, uh, whip, whips, uh, swinging action and stuff like that too. Also too, I like, like I said before, I like the whole crate situation. I like the thing where I've seen other artifacts inside of this building area because it has that feel of the Conjuring, where basically the and this is before the Conjuring, by the way, but. It rep to me the Conjuring kind of represents that also too with the Friday Thirteenth the TV series miniseries was this they have like an antique shop and that antique shop there really represent different artifacts that they find and to me having that in in, in the Indiana Jones movie shows and describes who Indiana Jones is as a, a as a as a person who is traveling the world doing all this architect uh, not architect but you know searching going on adventure and stuff like that archaeology and that's what makes me love this movie so much and i think that the indiana jones and the raiders of the lost ark is probably one it's one of my favorite movies to be honest with you i'll watch it every single chance i get a chance to see it on tv and everything whenever it's streaming hands down one of my favorites um but what about you though charlie i mean do you like the indiana jones movies or anything like that or Okay, I mean, Raiders was okay. I mean, it was like I was shocked that they were able to get away with a lot of stuff for a PG movie. Like that was definitely like they're definitely like pushing the envelope on some of that. But um, they are what they are. Again, I'm not like super invested in them. I mean, I, I mean they're trying to make the next one right now, and I'm like, why? Um, are you trying to redeem yourself after uh, Crystal Skull? Um, I, I don't know. Um, I mean. Is it something I'd probably go to the theater for? Maybe not. I don't know. Um, but I mean, they are they were what they were. They're were like pre Nathan Drake. Um, but yeah, I've right. seen them. So right. But yeah, I they're not for everybody. They they have a level of cheesiness to them now compared to before. Yeah, they were cheesy and stuff like that before. But the the humor worked for back then. They got away with a lot of stuff and also too. Especially the gory scenes with the Nazis that I mentioned and stuff like that. I was actually shocked to actually see that in a PG-13 film or PG movie. Mm -hmm. And they, Steven Spielberg got away with a lot in that film. But um, another thing, though, too, is this. I mean, 
I like history, I like archaeology and things like that. This was if you're into stuff like that or fictional characters like Indiana Jones, I strongly recommend the Raiders of the Lost Ark. It's one of my favorites. Um, what do you have on your next one? I mean, I didn't have much of a list. I just know one remember is like, hold on. <coughs> oh, sorry. I think the last one I had um that I can think of was um Smoke and Aces in um, this one movie came out in 2006, uh, directed by Joe Carnahan. And anyway, it's that's one of my cast. favorites. Huge cast Pit from Jeremy Piven, the Ryan Reynolds, Ben Affleck, Bateman. Uh, I was boy, Ben Affleck's not in this movie very long. They have him listed as the top guy, he's only in it for like 10 minutes. Um, spoiler alert, um, Jason Bateman's in this common, Annie Garcia, Alicia, uh, Alicia Keys, Taraji B. Henson, Ray Liotta, Chris Pine. Matthew Fox. I'm pretty sure there's others in this one too. Like the list is like huge, like huge in this. Like, so anyway, big fan is that there's, um, buddy aces, um, buddy, Robert, buddy aces, Israel. He's played Piven. He's like an, he's a magician, but he's a mafia informant. Um, this movie's really, there's so many different storylines. So everybody, there's a target that's on buddy aces. Like he's got a, like a hit on him. And it's like a certain amount of money. So everybody's in on it. So you have the FBI played by agents played by Ryan Reynolds and Ray Liotta. You have these uh, these crazy guys, and these like crazy brothers, um, Chris Pine, I believe uh, um, some, uh, I believe Tommy. Yeah, no, not Tommy Flanagan. He plays a different character. Um, Kevin Durand and it's that. So they're these brothers and these guys are crazy. Um Peter Berg, the director, is in this one as well. Like, again, the list is huge. Anyway, everybody's... And it's all set in this one location of a hotel. So each one's got a different motivation to kill Buddy Aces. So the FBI's motive is to try to get this head boss, uh, Sparaza, uh, because he's killed a lot of people. And anyway, so this movie's got some crazy shootouts. There's there's a lot of comedy in it. But this, but the action sequences in this movie are absolutely insane. Um, there's a sequence where Ryan Reynolds and F, he's the he's an awesome guy. He's like the best character in this movie for me, because um, this is the first movie I saw him in a, a dramatic role, and he plays the drama in this one. For that so anyway, his his cop butt, his FBI partner got shot up, like shot to shit in this hotel. These two guys literally shot each other in the hotel. How they survive? Some of uh, some how one of this guy survives beyond me it's just absolutely insane so one of the guy, one of the girls like there's a two two girl partners um there's uh, alicia keys and tarash b henson tarash b henson's in a hotel in like a far like a room in a far distance she's got this mega sniper rifle oh my god how she's able to get away with the scope in this so anyway there's a shootout the fbi agents in one side sniper on the other side epic shootout a lot of that while that's going on up, uh, up on the next level, you have the brothers um, that are just going ballistic on it. All the, uh, the like the security people. One guy's got a chainsaw. Yes, you heard me that correctly. He's got a chainsaw. He let's just say he gets shot. And he sits on it. Motor's running. He's got no legs now. Like it's just, Chris Pine's group is all getting shot. This sh- whatever. So after the end result, uh, Andy Garcia is playing the. He's the head of the FBI, and you know, you just know. He's a dick. He absolute dick. The FBI is dicks in this one because he's like he, the, the whole bureaucratic bullshit answers or whatever. Anything that you hate about this, it's in this movie is Andy Garcia's character. So right, so he he orders uh, 
um, Ryan Mercer, which is Ryan Reynolds' character, um, Agent uh, Richard Mercer, uh, Menser, to go to Washington and debrief. Ryan's, Ryan, Ryan Reynolds ain't doing that shit. He's going to the he goes to the the hospital where they're keeping Buddy Ace, um, Robert Ace is alive, and the father son duo to they're trying to do a heart transplant. Anyway, Ryan Reynolds shows up and he goes, "I thought I told you that like the the, the Andy Garcia uh, locks telling him that." Ryan Ryan Reynolds pulls a gun on his back and like, why don't you fucking explain it to me? Sorry, there's a lot of ex- like this is like Ryan Reynolds was pissed. He just lost his partner and nobody's get nobody's telling him answers. So he's trying to get some answers. And the real like the big twist here is that the guy Speraza, he's re- he's he like because um because there always talks about this one FBI agent that was going to do all these types of transformations to your face, like all these plastic surgeries. Everybody thinks he's dead. The real thing is they're trying to keep this this the uh, Sp- uh, Speraza alive is because he's really he's really this guy named Heller because they want to find the bodies where, where this guy's killed everybody because he's going deep undercover. And they realized Ryan Reynolds has been told a lie. His character's told a lie, and he's like um like he's like, he's pissed. And you feel for Ryan Reynolds because he's he went for he went for hell. He's gone for hell and back, all that stuff, and because the the FBI guy is not telling him anything, and he goes, um, and Mickey calls him a fucking asshole, and well deserved. And then he tells, "All right, I'll take that as a resignation right now. Let's not end on this. I'm sorry for your partner." And he goes, "Bureaucrat, it's um, bure- um, uh, empty pot, pretty much money, empty pockets, bureaucratic bullshit." So anyway, right now it's like, "No, we're good." You think it's done? It's not. The ending's just getting better. So. Ryan Reynolds goes into the like the unit where Buddy Aces and that are hooked up to two machines. Ryan Reynolds shuts the door, somehow locks it. He uh, and then and then and then what really makes this ending so well is the ending music. The ending music really sells the scene. I believe it's uh, I believe the song. I can look it up. I believe it's called "Dead Reckoning" by Clint Mansell. Oh my God. This music sells it. So Ryan Reynolds, he uh he goes up. Music's playing. He goes up to where the uh, where the plugs are. Just pulls them. He just pulls the plug, killing, trying to kill them both. He sits there in the chair. He takes out his gun. He unloads it. Takes out the um and like and then cocks the gun to get the other bullet out. Places it on the ground. Pushes his badge. And he just sits there while everybody else is trying to break in through the doors. And Ryan Reynolds just smirks, like 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 he just smiles, like he smiles, like it's kind of like it's it's not a happy ending, but it's a huge kind of like yeah, you show him, and the, the camera just pans out, and while while the boat while Buddy Aces and Speraza just lay there dying because Ryan Reynolds pulled the plug because they're on like life support because they're trying to do a heart transplant, he just sits there while everybody's trying to bust through the doors. Garcia's all pissed off, and then the camera just pans out. And it ends like this, this, the motive, this, 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 everything building up to that ending and Ryan Reynolds is like not giving a crap. Like it just really, he sells that scene perfectly. And that's what I was like, Ryan Reynolds can do some drama. And that sequence for me is this ending is my all time favorite ending. It's not a happy ending, but it's a great, it's but a great ending. Cause it just shows you like, yeah, screw you. You're not going to do anything. So it was a nice motivational ending, and that that was that was that was that, that that's why it's my number, my number one ending. 
You see, I like Smoking Aces. Smoking Aces to me was one of my favorite action films of that year, to be honest with you. Because imagine this you have a bunch of hitmen trying to target one person because he's so dangerous and he's done something to them in order to actually, um, to want for people wanting to kill him. And so, therefore, that's why you have this big hit on Buddy Aces and everything. And, of course, Ryan Reynolds is also just pissed off at the fact that they're keeping this guy alive all this time. So, therefore, he has to pull the plug on one of them, on both of them, so that way they both don't survive. Because yeah. of the fact that the government's being so shady towards them. And his, he just lost his partner. Right. Like he, yeah, he lost his partner. And, the, and the, they all fed them lies. They fed them lies, told them this thing was happening. So the government was through that. I mean, and it's feel you feel bad too for Buddy Aces a little bit because he just lost like some sort of some deal with the FBI that they made or whatever for him being an informant. Like it just he was about to off himself too. It's like you kind of feel because this is Jeremy Pivens like was really good in this. Like how he goes from like the all happy, and then he started he almost tried to kill himself, and and then he didn't. And then there's just a lot of shadiness going on because they want him. They try to keep him alive, but, um, but they, but yeah, but it's just, it is, it is what it is, but yeah, they lied to Ryan Reynolds and that this whole time and they wouldn't give him straight up answers. This is what you get. And I'm, I'm glad that we didn't see what happened to Ryan Reynolds. You know, you're kind of hoping like what happens next, but they ended mm-hmm. it perfectly. Like him, like take this as my resignation. I'm kill. I'm, I'm, I'm stopping your little ploy. So uh, I was a, I was a great ending. It was a great like yeah, BPU FBI or whatever in this movie. So it was it was a really good ending to them, like for Ryan Reynolds because it was just like because they were shady the whole movie. So it was kind of a nice little yeah, you're rooting for Ryan Reynolds. But yeah, Ryan Reynolds was fantastic in this movie. He definitely was. And you know what else is even better, Charlie? What? Having a lawnmower 4.0 in your hand at the pleasure oh, of shaving your balls. <laughs> And a matter of fact, you know what else is even better? Imagining your girlfriend and your significant other getting yourself a manscape. And a matter of fact, what better way than have chestnuts roasting on an open fire for a gift for both wish to last for? And the perfect package for the perfect um for the perfect package. So with that being said, support for Movie Lovers Unite is brought to you by Manscaped. Who is the best in men's body, um, men's below the waist grooming? Champions of the world, Manscaped offers precise precision engineering tools for your family jewels. Manscaped just launched their fourth generation trimmer, the Lawnmower 4.0. You heard that right. The 4.0 joined over 4 million men worldwide who trust the Manscaped with this exclusive offer for you 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the movie code Movie Loves Unite at manscaped.com. Even Santa will be proud to have a Manscaped 4.0. I'll tell you what, that will be actually something that I would have to have be ho-ho-hoing about in front of Mrs. Claus, if you know what I mean. But imagine shaving with a sleek, well-designed, and optimized trimmer that makes shaving time Santa's favorite time in the bathroom. I'm only one of the first people to try the new 4.0, and I'm blown away by the performance, the craftsmanship, and details of the 4.0 are next level. Another thing is, though, too, Santa won't have any trouble... Or anything like that with this 4.0. It has a simple on and off switch. It has an LED light for the hard to reach areas and everything. Even Rudolph would be happy to know that Santa's ha- handling his package just right. And being placed on, on the sleigh 
as he's going through the night. But that's not all. And I bet Santa also had a hard time with a regular razor just nicking his balls and everything. With the 4.0 and everything, you can have the perfect Krispy Kreme. Uh, you can actually have the perfect package with Manscaped. And matter of fact, Manscaped Engineering, the ultimate groin and body trimmer by focusing on intelligent functionality and an incredibly comfortable grooming experience. The fourth generation trimmer features a cutting edge somatic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to their advanced skin safe technology. I now feel comf confident shaving my boys. The And get this. This upgraded trimmer includes a multifunction on and off switch, like I mentioned before, that can engage a travel lock. It also gives you the ability to turn the 4000 LED spotlight on and off when needed for a more precise shave. The Lawnmower 4.0 even allows you to customize your trim through additional guard lengths, sizes 1 through 4. But I mentioned wireless charging. The new wireless charging system uses electromagnetic induction, which can, uh, which can help uh, with battery length lasting longer. Men, if you've been shaving with the same nut trimmer you on your face, you've been doing it wrong. No person wants to end up with pubes in their mouth. No, nobody gets this. Your girl don't want na any kind of nasty stuff in her mouth or anything like that. She wants a nice, smooth surface to where she can feel safe at at night and have the right package in her mouth without having to feel insecure. It's the, probably the best way to go about it. Did I mention, mention wireless charging? The new wireless charging system uses electromagnetic um, Induction, which can help uh, battery length last longer. Men, if you've been, like I said before, you've been shaving with the wrong nut trimmer, you've been doing it wrong. It's time to get your own ball hair and body trimmer with Manscaped to make me time the best time and enhance your confidence with some nice smooth boys. Get 20% off plus free shipping and handling with the code MovieLovesUnite at Manscaped.com. And guess what? M Mrs. Claus will thank Santa for shaving his balls, and guess what? Your balls will thank you, too. Also, too, you might want to go ahead and sing to your boys sometime and everything, too, because, you know, you can actually feel jolly and good at Christmas time, knowing that you have some nice, smooth boys. So, with that being said, let's go ahead and get back into this again. So, my, my next thing that I have on here is I actually have the Godfather on here. And the reason why I have The Godfather on here, I'm not talking, I understand that there's three movies, but The Godfather 1, to me, was a perfect film. And surrounding a, a man named Michael Corleone and Don Corleone and this mafia family, Michael comes home after serving in the military. He doesn't want anything to do with his family or anything like that. He just wants to go ahead and relax, enjoy his family time with his sister because she's getting married. Don Corleone is also, at that time, also conducting business at the wedding and stuff like that, too. And also, too, something winds up happening to Don Corleone where he winds up getting whacked, and then he winds, and then next thing you know it, Michael has to step in to the family business, even though he doesn't want to step into the family business of the mafia world or anything like that. Now he has to go ahead and take the reins. And this is just one of those things like at the very end of it, you could definitely tell that his wife Kay is definitely not okay with him being uh, in this mafia world or in this lifestyle or anything like that either. Especially so his brother winds up getting whacked in this movie. Um, Sonny winds up getting whacked because of his own um, emotions got involved with everything with his sister. Because every single time, whenever the abuse of, uh, douchebag husband would go ahead and put hands on her. Sonny would have to go on ahead, go over to his house and put hands on him for messing with his sister. And then that's what got him whacked in the first place because of the fact that 
the husband winds up doing a business deal with another um, side of the other family who has who are rivals, and so therefore that so winds he winds up whacking uh, Sonny. But anyways, um, at the very end of this film, the way it wraps up is this. You can see now that Michael is now the dawn of this family, of the Corleone family. And Kay is just looking out to the right. And she's watching these men go into the, uh, Don Corleone's office, kissing the ring that Dawn, the Don used to wear. Now Michael's wearing it. And now Michael is now the boss of that family. And Kay... If you look at the expression on Kay's face, she's heartbroken by the fact that she's having to go into this world, and now Michael's in charge of this world, and she she really wishes that he wouldn't have been able to do that or anything. But just the heartbreak over her face, and then the door closes at the very end as these men are gathering around to kiss his ring, and that closes that chapter in The Godfather 1 uh, epic, well, saga. Uh, to me, to be honest with you, Godfather Three. I pretend that it doesn't even happen because if you read the book, Godfather One and Godfather Two go hand in hand together, and also too, Godfather One, the movie, and Godfather Two goes hand in hand together. It's a prequel story mixed in with a sequel with Part Two, but as a whole, with the third film, it's a mess. The the first two films are the best films in the Godfather, but. Uh, what about you, though, Charlie? I mean, do you like The Godfather, or have you seen The Godfather? First two were good. Third yeah. one was shit. Like, yeah. Sofia Coppola, sorry, just, no, like, get away. Like, your acting was horrid in that movie. Like, that, uh, the, the, the ending was the best part of that one, when she got shot and she died. That was the only highlight, because she was so annoying. Mm-hmm. And again, she's not that great of a director anyway. I've seen a couple of her stuff. Well, I'm not a huge Sofia Coppola fan anyway. I know she didn't direct Godfather 3, but some of the other movies she's directed, I wasn't a huge fan for it. Like, I mean, but she should stick to directing, but that, that that's a, that's a stretch too. But she was terrible in the third movie. Absolutely the third terrible. movie is laughable, especially when she dies. Because it's just overdramatic acting. And you can tell that she's overacting. Mm-hmm. And when she dies, I can't help it. I'm sorry. I, you can call me a douche all you want. That scene makes me laugh because of how over how much her acting is. She's overacting on it. Now I haven't seen the extended version of the third film or anything like that, but I want to just to see if it actually ex- enhances my experience from that third tragedy of a film. But overall, and everything. There was no reason to have a third film within the Godfather movies. There was only two stories to the Godfather, and that was it. All they just wanted to go on ahead and make that extra Oscar win. That's all they wanted to do was have that Oscar nom, and that was it because of the uh, success that they have with the first two films mm-hmm. coming off of it. But the Godfather for me, it will always be my classic mafia story that I would love, even with Goodfellas and everything else. But Mm-hmm. That's just me. Um, anything else though that you have for your? I didn't have anything else planned. Okay. Again, I was like just thinking on the fly. Okay. Well, if you want to, you can just piggyback off of me a little bit. Yeah, we can do that. That's fine. Because I have like, t- I have a couple of movies that I actually have on here that I've been wanting to talk about, 
And I know I'm kind of cheating since I, I'm going to be having the casting director on here, but with having Shawshank Redemption on here, but don't, then don't count it then. <laughs> I'm going to count it. Memory is good. <laughs> but you know what though? I might savor the flavor because I'm, I am planning on doing a Shawshank Redemption review before I interview him, before I mm. interview um, Brent. So I might, I'm going to save that. So I'm just going to go off of the first Saw movie. I have to have at least one horror movie in this whole entire list, right, Charlie? Cool. Because that's just who I am. Don't you but have another I, one, too? The American Psycho? Hence yeah. The, uh, yeah. That's, I'm gonna talk horror, about, that's kind of a horror, a horror movie as well. So you have, like, two. Suspense thriller, yeah. But, okay. So the first one I'm going to do is American Psycho. And then I'll cover the, the Saw movie. But with American Psycho... I got to watch that during quarantine and everything, and I really loved it. I mean, I love the writing of it. Christian Bale is in this movie, and if you if you want to know what it's about, it's about this wealthy man who lives in New York who is an investment banker named Patrick Bateman who revolves around dining a trendy restaurants while keeping up with the parents for his fiance Evelyn, in his uh, circle of wealthy and shallow associates, most of them he hates. Bateman describes the material accountants of his life uh, lifestyle, including his morning exercise, um, a routitious uh, routine. And basically with him, Bateman is one of those complex, complex characters where he hates his coworkers. He does everything around re repetition. He's very impulsive. He also, not only that, but even at that opening scene at the bar, he can't stand the bartender, the female bartender at all. And he's thinking out. He's thinking in his head on what he wants to actually say to her, and I forgot the actual quote with that um, with that scene. But it's one of those scenes where he basically just wants to kill her, but he doesn't say uh, say this uh, say that quote at all. He just reserves himself. But like I said, it's with. It, but here's another thing: at a business meeting, too, Bateman and his associates flaunt their business cards and a display of superficial vanity. And stuff like that too. So therefore, they always have like a battle of whose uh, business card looks better than the other person, and stuff like that, and flaunts their egotistical selves and everything. And he also has a way of this is just him as a way of fitting in to be normal and everything. And then winds up chasing someone down with a winds up chopping somebody in half with um with an axe chops off the guy's hand while also listening to some 80s music as well and also to ice nine kills made a uh song about this and, and stuff like that oh okay what okay i'm gonna have to i'm so sorry about that guys i'm we're getting spammed yeah, we're getting spam over here. So I'm hold on one second. I do apologize for that. That was okay. weird. <laughs> this is the first time that we ever got spammed on a live feed. Normally, I get that after that. Like, this is what I. How, how is that even able to get through? Like, what the? <laughs> I don't know. I have no clue. Anything can happen on a live feed. I guess this is the things I get for doing on Manscaped ad. I don't know. <laughs> But um, back to what I was saying about American Psycho. Um, basically, Bateman winds up chasing someone down in his underwear too with a chainsaw. It's very horrifying and graphic. 
And he's also going around uh, chasing her down in a hallway down the stairs to his apartment. Yeah, um, I've seen that movie. Like, I can never get that, um, like, uh, like, like what it takes to be a square song, make Huey, that Huey Lewis song or whatever. Like, anytime he's bashing somebody's vein in, and I think, or him running, you know, he wasn't wearing any underwear. He was naked. He runs, runs out of this hotel and he chucks the chainsaw down. Um, I think I found the opening monologue. If you okay. want, um, I it's it's too long, so I think um, I'll put it in, put the link in for you to check it out if you want to read from it. It's uh, I think it's one of those like iconic monologues. Um, it's a long one though, but I think it I think it's pretty much what he's. I don't know if it's the one with the in the bar, but it's just the opening monologue of just pretty much who this guy is. Yeah, I'll just give you a basis of what what we're dealing here as a monologue. I'm not an actor, so don't. No. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that's what I found. Um... Okay, I live in the American Gardens building on West 81 Street on the 11th floor. My name is Patrick Bateman. I'm 27 years old. I believe in taking care of myself, and I bl- balanced in a balanced diet and a righteous exercise routine in the morning if my face is a little, a little puffy i'll put on an ice pack while doing my stomach crunches i can do a thousand now and after i remove the ice pack i use a deep pore cleanser lotion in the shower i use a water activated gel cleanser then a honey almond body scrub and on the face of exfoliating gel scrub then I apply an herb mint facial mesquite, which I leave on for 10 minutes while I prepare the rest of, the, of my routine. I always use an aftershave lotion with little or no alcohol because alcohol dries your face out and makes you look older. Then moisturizer, then an anti-aging eye balm followed by a final moisturizing protection, protective lotion. There's an idea of Patrick Bateman, <laughs> some kind of abstraction, but there is no real me, only an entity, someone illusionary. And though I can hide my cold gaze and you can shake my hand and feel flesh gripping yours. And maybe you can even sense our lifestyles are probably compatible. I simply am not there. And I don't know if that was the quote from the beginning, the bar. Yeah. I don't know if it was or not, but I figured, I mean, it's, a, it's like one of those iconic monologues if you need one. Yeah, it explains his day-to-day rituals on what he does. This actually feels like a Manscaped ad, <laughs> to be honest with you, which I might actually use for my American Psycho review that I'm going to be doing soon. I mean, you could do that, like when you talk right. about manscaping. You know, you, you know, you need that. You need that deep clean when you're when you're like when you're running naked for your hotel and you need to chuck a chainsaw down the flight or take out. Once you use this, um, and poor Jared Leto, I think he got pretty. I think he got killed pretty bad in yeah, this one too. Jared Leto got killed <laughs> really bad, but with American Psycho and everything, this movie is hands down a cult. Matter of fact, I want to say. This is actually a cult classic because the budget at that time, 20 years ago, well, 21 years ago, what only had a budget of $7 million and it made three, $34.3 million at the box office. And then after that, it just grew into this big, huge cult following. But this is where the plot twist takes place, though. The following morning, Bateman visits Alan's apartment to clean up Alan's remains, but it is a vacant, it's, it's actually for sale. 
he pretends to be a potential buyer, but the realtor uh, tricks Bateman into revealing that he is not there to buy the apartment. She then uh, also tells him that the apartment does not belong to Paul Allen by, before ordering him to leave. Then also, too, Detective Kimball meets with Bateman for a third time, which is also played by none other than Green Goblin himself, which would be... What actor William would that Defoe. be? Yeah, William Defoe. And so, yeah, so this is actually pretty interesting. And then, of course, you know, although Bateman is terrified he will be found out, Kimball also assures him that several witnesses saw Alan in London, and Kimball tells Bateman that Alan probably just skipped town on vacation for a few weeks while Bateman goes to the meet with the colleagues for lunch. A horrified Jean finds detailed drawings of murder and mutilation in Bateman's office journal. But also, too, this is another thing that will make you wonder, though, too, is the fact that he's also confessing to his boss, I believe, and telling him, hey, look, I killed a bunch of people and I'm and I'm a murderer and I need to be arrested. And then all of a sudden the person's just looking at him like he's crazy and everything the next day. And, and he's like, I never got any message over on my answer machine or anything like that. I'm not sure what you're talking about. So that was also another thing that winds up happening. But this ending to this movie is one of my favorite uh, endings, to be honest with you, aside from the Saw ending that I'm going to be talking about in a few minutes. And after that, we're going to cut it, uh, cut, cut it after this. But, um, but yeah, I think that this is actually one of those movies that I have a lot of fun watching from time to time, especially if you're uh, during Halloween, things like that. Or if you're just looking for a good thriller to watch, check out American Psycho. But now let's go into the Saw movie now. So the very first Saw movie, I remember <clears throat> checking this movie out. It was a low-budget film. James Wan directed it. This was one of his first directorial debuts that he made. And, you know, you're wondering, why does he have these people locked up? Why are they chained up? How was this linked to them? And then once you find out the plot twist on what's going on, because of, of course, the guys over there blackmailing the other guy that he's handcuffed with also, he's also a doctor. The other guy happens to be just a uh, photographer uh, and everything too. But that final ending, you're wondering how Jigsaw knows all their movements on everything they're doing and everything through that whole entire time that they're locked inside this bathroom area, especially the part where he goes, they don't, he doesn't want us to cut through the chains. He wants us to cut through our, our feet instead. And so I still remember that quote, that quote still gives me goosebumps even today on that scene. And that scene is very graphic, but you see a dead body that's placed in between them this whole entire time. And you're thinking that this person's dead. And then finally, when he cuts himself loose, when the doctor cuts himself cuts himself loose and then drags himself outside the door, that's when, of course, the man, the real killer actually comes. He's actually alive this whole entire time. The dead body is actually the killer that locked them up, and you don't even expect it. You don't. You're so enticed in on how they're going to get out. You're wondering why this dead body is even there in the first place, but that don't even become anything either. They're just, they're just thinking that it's just a dead body laying on the floor. But, man, this this film, I remember the plot twist. I remember people talking about this plot twist. I'm just being shocked over this shock, uh, this um, this list, to be honest, this um, plot twist. And I love this. This is actually the perfect way to, uh, to end 
the very first Saw movie. It gives you like, what the heck? What's going to happen next? The killer got away. And what's going to happen in the next films? And we got an idea of what's going to happen in the next films. But still, overall, the very first Saw movie is one of my favorite movies um, that I still talk about from time to time. But I, I don't know if you saw the first Saw movie or anything like that. I know that you skipped out the first time whenever it was first in theaters. I did not see any of the Saw movies. The only one that really intrigued me was the Chris Rock one, Spiral. Okay. I did not see any of the Spiral like Saw movies because this is definitely not my movie. So I gotcha. So with that being said, guys, that's going to do it for the did show. Did you have a Tarantino movie? Yeah, as a matter of fact, I do have a Tarantino movie, and it's Inglorious Bastards. It's a good ending, too. Yes. And, okay, there's two... I, I put this in two categories here, right? Because if you think about it, the theater can be one ending, because that wraps up that one part with dealing with the uh, the woman that's working inside the movie theater. Then you're dealing with Brad Pitt's character after they wind up killing Hitler and everything else. So... The, my favorite ending would be the movie theater ending where the woman winds up getting revenge on Hitler for the things that she's done that he did to her and her family. And that opening sequence, that opening sequence at the very beginning of the film is very intense. They're hiding a Jew, their Jewish family underneath the house. And then you have one of Hitler's henchmen comes over there by played by Christoph Waltz comes in there, wants a glass of milk, the people underneath the floor, it has to be quiet. Otherwise, they're going to be made out that, hey, there's people hiding underneath the floorboards. And then as they're leaving, I think that Christoph Waltz winds up just shooting the person above the father, above the... Okay, I can above. tell you what happens. Just go ahead. Yeah. I'll, I'll tell you what happens afterwards. But It's just been a while. But yeah. the movie theater scene where finally she winds up getting her vengeance. And, of course, you have Brad Pitt pretending that he's Italian, getting being infiltrated. You also have Sam Levine in this movie if you're a Schmodown fan and everything, too. And you're wondering, are these people going to get blown up in this theater because of her? Because that's what I, my first instinct was. I thought that they would get blown up. But then... As the story plays out, after that happens, Brad Pitt gets revenge on one of Hitler's henchmen and winds up killing him. But I'm going to let you describe that scene yeah. there, Charlie. So the opening scene, um, um, Christoph Waltz didn't, uh, or um, uh, uh, Hans Lando, all he did is like he was like he kind of knew that the guy that the I think the German guy I think and it's actually one of the daughters is uh, Melanie Swan. From uh, no, from the uh, Spectre and No Time to Die, she was one of the daughters of of uh, of the of the guy that was holding all the Jewish lady, the Jewish family. So Hans Lander then killed the guy. He knew that they were down below, so he instructed his all shoulders to come, uh, soldiers to come in, shoot the floor. Like he didn't kill anybody, and then he almost tried to shoot Shoshana um, while she was running, and he goes, "Au revoir, that." Um, so they go into the, uh, the, the, the theater sequence. It was, uh, Hans Lana was able to pick up on that. So she, he kills the, uh, the, the, the actress by choking her out. And I think that was, ad, I think that was kind of ad-libbed. Again, I forgot the, the details. Anyway. So she's dead. And so she, he, Hans Lana kind of knew, like, 
Lieutenant Aldo Rain, Brad Pitt's character, he was full of crap, him speaking Italian. But seeing him speak Italian, hearing it, it was just hysterical. Like, just bursting out laughing, correcto. And um, Eli Roth's in it, and he was fantastic in it as the uh, as the, uh, the bear Jew. Um, and then there's a great Quentin Tarantino documentary called the QT8. If you have stars, it's on there, and I think it might be somewhere else. They go, they they talk about Glorious Bastards and how they film the sequence where he comes in with the baseball bat. They delayed that sequence for days just to get hit. Eli Roth's characters pissed off. Like so, this is to build up the tension. He's in the back working out, and he said, "All right, he's getting ready to film." Oh, sorry, man. We're going to wait another day to do it. They did it on purpose just to get him to come out with so much intensity to bash the guy's brains in and that. So, so Lieutenant Aldo Rain and um, PJ, PJ Nowak, aka the little man, they get captured. So they're out of the theater. So they're dealing with that and they're trying to make a deal with Lando and whatever. And then so it's Donnie and um, Omar. Who speaks the third best Italian? He's like, I don't speak Italian. That's why I said third best. Why don't you go fucking practice some more or whatever? Again, it, the dialogue's hysterical. In this. So anyway, they're left in there. They still got these uh, dynamites attached to their legs. So they got those while Shoshana's dealing with um, uh, Baron Zemo. And everybody's wondering, what, who's Baron Zemo? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, the, the, the annoying kid Heinrich, who, which, is, which is the movie premiere of that, he's Baron Zemo. <laughs> So if anybody didn't know, yeah, it's uh, I think it's uh, Daniel Brute. He's the annoying little kid that keeps hitting on Shoshana, which she should have double tapped him. Like she shot him like twice in the stomach, and she felt so bad about. It. I'm like, no, you shoot him. Uh, have you not seen Zombieland that came out that year? Shoot him in the head. That's how it, so he doesn't get back up. So anyway, they die. They're like they have a sh- like some shootout or whatever on the in, in the theater projector. So they're dead. And then while that's going on. The screen's playing, and she goes, you're all going to die, because in the back, and there's Sam Jackson's in the air, and he's great in it, and like and they talk about this film and how fast this film burns. So they set up, it's a double trap. And, of course, Tarantino's revision history, you see uh, Donnie Donowitz shooting the hell out of Hitler, and you see him staring at him, grinning, like, just chuggling that, and then while everybody's in fire, everybody's, like, everybody's trying to get out of the building, they're just sitting there, like, just, you know, sitting there, reloading their guns, having a good time, and they're just blasting and the theater blows up and that's what happens to that portion and then going back to lando um so lando gave himself up and his buddy um and his partner is like yeah i i um and then so um brad pitt's like all right give me my gun okay he shoots the guy he shoots the partner he goes what i pledge you my life for that man nah like they they don't they don't give a shit about him they just give a shit about you um and he goes scout perman so they're all about scalps, and you see him scalp Herman. And he goes, oh, and this Brad Pitt's just having a mo-. like, like, do you, do you agree with that, Heinrich? Like, I, I'm like, um, um, I forgot the guy. Like, the nickname is the little man. He goes, no, not one damn bit, sir. And he's just scalping the guy, and then they put the design in the head. That sequence was so funny. I think this might be my masterpiece. <laughs> it was absolutely hysterical, but yeah, it definitely was. This is hands down one of my favorites. Also, too, we also see a little cameo appearance by Mike Myers in this film and everything, too. And, in this one, yep. too. <clears throat> it's just a perfectly well cast, to be mm-hmm. honest with you. I'll, and here's the thing. this I like what Tarantino does with these historical events where it's like an Elseworld kind of thing. I feel like this is where Tarantino shines in, is doing these kind of pieces. 
don't get me wrong, I like I like Kill Bill just as much as the next person or whatever, but it just seems like when it comes down to this kind of flavor that he brings to us, it seems like he shines more in stuff like this and historical pieces doing a different story in a what if kind of scenario in a, in a different type of Tarantino way. But <clears throat> that's just my opinion on that. But with that being said, guys, that's going to be it for the show. I do appreciate everyone tuning in tonight. I do appreciate it. Thank you again, Charlie, for uh, bringing in your list and everything. I do appreciate it. This has been a good, fun episode, as always. Um, so with that being said, guys, if you guys want to go ahead and follow me on Movie Lovers TV Loves You Night on Instagram and underneath the same brand name on Facebook. And, of course, you guys can go on ahead, go on Pinterest as well, and follow me over there. If you want an audio-only podcast episode of many sh- of our mini shows that we do here at Movie Lovers Unite, you can get that where you guys get your major podcast from. Then, of course, if you guys want to donate to the page, all you have to do is go to movie, uh, gofundme.com forward slash Movie Lovers Podcast, and that's where you can donate 5 to $10 over there. But smashing that like button, smashing that share button goes a long way here at Movie Lovers Unite. So go ahead and do that. Don't forget to smash that little bell on the bottom right hand corner to allow you guys know that we have something new going on of course guys there's also another way that you guys can donate to the show as well with good pods if you download the good pods app and then you search for movie lovers unite over there you guys can actually donate to the page through good pod uh good pods and everything and give us a tip as well and all and will be very much appreciated but of course you know another thing too is if you guys want to as well rate us on good pods Give us a five-star rating if you want to go on here and do that. But you can rate each individual episode according to how you feel like that they need us to be rated. Helps other people to go ahead and find us on on uh, on other podcasts and stuff like that as well. Then, of course, you guys can go on ahead and rate us on Apple Podcasts as well. Then if you want to reach out to me and follow me on Twitter, all you have to do is just go ahead and follow me underneath Movie Lovers Unit. Then, of course, Movie Lovers Unit Zero on, on TikTok as well. I do some PR stuff from time to time over there. Then, of course, you guys can go on ahead if you want to be on the show. And if you want to uh, just email me at movieloversunite at gmail.com. That's how you can go ahead and get a hold of me. And that's everything everywhere that you guys can go ahead and follow me at. I thank you again, Charlie. I do appreciate it. And always until next time, guys, it's been real. It's been fun. I can't wait to do this again. And bye-bye.